Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. Anytime you're in Huntsville, we hope you'll come be part of our worship. The West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence is located at 1519 Old Monrovia Road Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. We hope you'll enjoy this lesson brought to us by Glenn Colley. All right, let's get started. Good evening to you. We've been studying in this class the Holy Spirit for the last few weeks. We're going to take up with that. The quarter is not actually just about the Spirit. It's about uh, the, all the members of the Trinity, the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit. We're just doing the Holy Spirit mostly first. And, and uh, Brother Andrews is going to teach the, the balance of it. We'll probably do about six classes about the Holy Spirit. What I've been doing is choosing subjects that I think are, are typically the most interesting, um, sometimes the most controversial about the Holy Spirit. And tonight we're going to talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 3 and we'll start in verse 7. Matthew chapter 3 and verse 7. What I want to do tonight is to talk about or to answer the questions, what, what is the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Do we have it today? And... and um, so we'll go into those scriptures and, and talk about them, and I hope it'll be an enjoyable class for you. Matthew chapter 3, beginning in verse 7. Well, let's start in verse 4. Matthew chapter 3, verse 4. Now John himself was clothed in camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem, all Judea, all the region around the Jordan went out to him. And were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, brood of vipers, vipers or snakes. I do not think he was complimenting them, Charles. Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance. That's some strong talk right there. You people are, uh, are awful people. You're a brood of vipers. And what you need to do right now is repent. John was a courageous man. He's going to die for preaching like that. Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance. And do not think to say with yourselves... We have Abraham as our father. This is a profound statement. Because he knew that that's what they believed. They believed that because they were descendants of Abraham and they were, they were Jews, they had Abraham's blood pumping through their veins, that that meant their ticket was punched. They were God's chosen people. Don't you be thinking to say that we have Abraham to our father. God's able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. Now, what does that mean? What, what, what do you think that means? Say it again. Well, he could. But the point is that at this point, the Messiah has come. At this point, the fact that you're a Jew just isn't going to hold any water. It doesn't mean anything. Well, that's true. It would make you more accountable because they, and they received the gospel first. And, you know, you're going to get to Acts chapter 2 and those people. Yeah. Okay. So... Uh, the point is that 
that uh, that is not the fact that you are a descendant of Abraham at this point is not going to impress God. That's the point. God's able to these stones to raise up children to Abraham. And now the axe, even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. That is strong language. I mean, nobody is going to miss that. What he's saying is that you are not approved by God. You are not making God happy. You're making God very unhappy, and he's not going to put up with this. And the axe is laid at the root of the tree. What does that mean? You cut that tree down now. The tree, in this case, has to do with their behavior, the lives that they were living and their values and all of that, and um, the, the, their dependence on their bloodline instead of on Christ. Now, verse 11. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry, He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. The Holy Spirit was given and, and miraculous gifts in three different ways. I would argue three different ways. When Jesus um, performed miracles, he did so without limitation. I think that's very interesting, and of course you would expect that. And so in John chapter 3, verse 34, he whom God has sent, that's Jesus, and it's capital H, he whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for God does not give the Spirit by measure, The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. That is to say that Jesus doesn't have any kind of limitations on the miracles which he performs or what he's capable of doing. He has all of that without measure. So I would I would just put this into this list. But the second way that the Holy Spirit was given to people was by the the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about what baptism means, but but this was given on two different occasions. It was given to the apostles, and it was given to Cornelius, the house of Cornelius in Acts chapter 10, on two occasions. And and it came directly from heaven. Now, why is that interesting? Well, because of the third way that people got the miraculous gifts from the Spirit, which was the laying on of the apostles' hands. This was the way that common Christians received miraculous gifts in the first century. Acts chapter 8, beginning in 17. Now, when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them, who, when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For yet he had fallen upon none of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they, the apostles, laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. And when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money. And you remember about Simon the sorcerer. So you have three different, I would argue, three different circumstances there. Jesus had the Spirit, the miraculous abilities without measure. You had two occasions where people were baptized with the Holy Spirit, the apostles in the house of Cornelius in Acts 10. And then the third one, which was the common a common way, which was by the, the uh, laying on of the apostles' hands. Now, 
I'm going to speak, and anytime you want to interject or question or anything, I wish you would just jump right in. Let's talk about the word baptize. Now, you're familiar with it, of course, in its most common sense, and that is baptism in water. And, and you know that the Greek word baptizo means to, to immerse. It means to dip or to plunge or to immerse. In the English Bible, when the element is not mentioned, and, and by element I mean that, that when you were baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins, the element was water. And, and when you find the word baptize or baptized in the New Testament and the element is not mentioned, water is implied. It means baptism in water. Even though water is not inherent in the word itself, it just means, though, the word baptized just means to immerse. I mean, so for example, you have Mark 16, 16. He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. He that believes not shall be condemned. It wasn't necessary for him to say, he who believes and is baptized in water, for it was a given. They knew that it was water. Same for Acts 2.38, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. They were commanded to do that. I would give you a parenthetical note that I'll probably mention at the end of this class too, and that is that the baptism of the Holy Spirit was never a command. It was a promise. Acts chapter 1, it was something promised, and you see it evidence there to the apostles. In Matthew chapter 3 here, it was a promise. Um, It was not something that was commanded ever to people to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. People were commanded to be baptized in water. Acts 22, 16, and now what are you waiting for? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. That's not Holy Spirit baptism, that's water baptism. Now, having said that, the word baptize doesn't inherently include water, all right? So you have it used in the New Testament sometimes where the element is not water, it's something else. Can, can somebody think of something besides the Holy Spirit baptism? Can you think of an occasion where it was used and it's not about water and it's not about the Holy Spirit? Hmm. You have strange glasses, sir, but you're right about your point. I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to say that, James. Here's, you know, no, that's right. Of course, that's right. Matthew chapter 20 and verse 20. The mother of the sons of Zebedee made a request. And, and what was that request, somebody? What, what was? Yeah. Uh, let, let my sons, when you come into your kingdom, let my sons have a place of honor and sit on the right hand and the left hand in your kingdom. Right. And he said, you don't know what you're asking. And then he said this. He asked this. Ready? Are you able to drink of the cup that I'm about to drink and be baptized with the baptism that I'm about to be baptized with? Now, bear in mind that Jesus had been baptized by John the Baptist already. That is not what he's talking about. Yes, that's right. He's talking about the suffering the cross. He's talking about the cross. And, and when you talk about the cup, are you about ready? You, you willing to drink the cup that I'm going to drink from? That cup is the cup of suffering. 
And then he said, are you ready to be baptized? Now, remember that the word baptized means to immerse. It is, it is a description, a powerful description of the suffering of the cross right here for Jesus to say, I'm going to be baptized in this suffering. Because you know what the word baptized means. It means to immerse. I'm going to be immersed in this suffering. Incidentally, for those religionists who have a, a real misunderstanding about what baptism is, and they believe that sprinkling would do, I'd like to raise this point right here, that, that Jesus wasn't saying, are you able to be sprinkled with the suffering that will sprinkle me? He said, are you ready to be immersed with this like I will be immersed? So my point is that the word baptizo, baptize, doesn't inherently have water in it, and sometimes you'll have an element that is mentioned that is not water, but in its typical usage, in the ones I mentioned, you know, you, you have it, and it's clear that this command to be baptized is in water. It is a command. Back to Matthew 3. Jesus said to these, these Jews, after he, I mean, he laid them low, and then he says, you'll be baptized with fire. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Now, those are two different elements. I mean, I, I guess actually three. He's just referenced the fact that he, John the Baptist, baptizes them with water. That's to be baptized in that element. But then here are two more, baptized with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Now, sometimes people, go over to, keep your string there in Matthew 3 and go with me to Acts chapter 2 in the first verse. Let's go over there for a second. Sometimes people will say that the baptism um, of fire is, is what happened in Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a, mush, uh, a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared unto them divided tongues as of fire, and one set upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. We'll make reference to this in just a few minutes, but there were these apostles, and they appeared to them divided tongues as a fire and sat on, upon each of them. But that's not, the, that's not the baptism of fire that's talked about in Matthew chapter 3 when Jesus said that you're going to be baptized with fire uh, Acts 2 references this as something that is like fire. But in Matthew 3, that's real fire. He's going to baptize you with fire, not something like fire. He's talking about something different than what is in Acts 2. Tongues look like, tongues look like fire. And the apostles were baptized with the Holy Ghost on that occasion, but they weren't baptized with fire. Now, here's what I want you to get from Matthew 3. Now, get back to Matthew 3 with me. When John the Baptist made this speech in Matthew 3, and he just gave the Jews the business, he just told them straight about God's disapproval of them. There was a multitude. Now, folks, I'm convinced that the apostles were there. The reason I am is that he said... He references the baptism of fire 
and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The ones who are going to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 1 and 2 will be the apostles. I'm convinced the apostles were there and that you have two different groups of people then. You've got the the majority of those people, many of whom, many of those people, well, I would say you have the Jewish leaders there who John is condemning who came to the baptism and you also have the apostles there and that these are two different things. He's going to come and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. That's to some of those people and to others of those people, he'll baptize you with fire. Now let me demonstrate that in another way. Read verse 10. The baptism of fire is hell. The baptism of fire is hell. And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. What fire is that? Look at verse 12. Just skip verse 11 for a second and come to 12. His winnowing fan is in his hand. You know what a winnowing fan is? Who wants to, who wants to describe that? To separate grain from the chaff. No, not a broom. All right, you have, you have a, a round, flat something with maybe some way to hold on to it. You'd pitch it up in the air and the wind would, would blow and separate the chaff from the grain. And when you finished, at least in theory, what you'd have, I've never personally done it, but, but in theory, what you'd have is, is grain in your fan. And I think, I think they probably use, if they don't have machinery, probably use big shovels now and they could pitch it up, you know, and, and separate it. But what do you do with the chaff? And the answer is you burn it. It is good for nothing. And, and so this separation, what he's describing in verse 12 is in the winnowing fan, is the idea of separating. And you talk about the judgment day, and I declare there's going to be a mighty separation and that the nations are going to come and be separated to the right and to the left as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor, gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. What's unquenchable fire? It's hell. Unquenchable fire is hell. So in verse 10 you have uh, that, that the, the axe laid to the root of the trees, what doesn't bear good fruit is going to be cast into the fire. Verse 12 he says, unquenchable fire. And right in between there is verse 11. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. These, I mean, this is directed to the this generation of vipers. They were going to go to that lake which burns with fire and brimstone. Now, that's baptized in fire. That Wouldn't you say that hell is baptized in fire? That's what he's talking about. He, he's condemning them for the way that they're living and for the content of their hearts. My point is that the, whole, the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is going to come to those apostles when you, you start Acts 2, and, and what they received on that occasion was not the baptism of fire. It wasn't about unquenchable fire. It was something altogether different from that. So my point is you have two different, completely different things. To be baptized in the Holy Spirit, to be baptized in fire are two very different things because you have two very different groups in that assembly. Yes, sir.
Yes. Yes. The question is, isn't Jesus the only one who can do that? And the answer is the only one, and I assume, well, I mean, it's, it's true about both the baptism of fire and the baptism of the Holy Spirit because only Jesus is the administrator of the Holy Spirit baptism. And he's the only one who's going to be the administrator of hellfire, right? Second Corinthians 5 and verse 10. Uh, so the answer to that is certainly so. Uh, in a few minutes, we'll read John chapter 1, and, and that will demonstrate further that Jesus is the only administrator. And I want to point that out then at that time. Does that mean class is over? What does that? Is that, are that, is that our cell phones? Yeah. What's a blue alert? Is that? I've gotten a couple of those lately. What's a blue alert? It means an officer's been shot. I really didn't know that. Um, okay. Have y'all got a, gotten two or three of those lately? I have. Hmm. Um, Austin Patrick Hall is the shooter, and um, and it's in Bibb County. And it doesn't, let's see, it doesn't say who the officer was. Let's pray. Father, you are so good to bless us, and we're thankful. And we do not know how uh, this, uh, the name of this law enforcement officer, but we're so thankful for law enforcement and for what it does to help us be able to study this passage tonight in peace without fear. We're so thankful for those men who do that and women who do that. And we pray for this officer and for his family, the officer who was shot, that he will be all right. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. Okay. There are two recorded occasions of the baptism of the Holy Spirit in Scripture. The first was the apostles. It was to the apostles. Now, our our text says in Matthew 3 that I will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Two different people and two different kinds of people in that audience and when you get to Acts chapter 1 again, um, to the 11 apostles, there on the Mount of Olives, Jesus said, well, um, let me just read this to you. This is, this is Acts chapter 1 and verse 5. And if you're keeping notes, you need to write this in too at this point. Um, John baptized, Jesus said, um, I'm going to go and read that just to get it completely accurate. I want to get it accurate. Jesus said, for John truly baptized with water. This is just before Jesus ascended back to heaven. John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Now that's going to happen in the next chapter, in Acts chapter 2. Bear in mind that there's no reference here from Jesus to fire, to the baptism of fire. Why not? I mean, that's what you got in Matthew 3. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. But when you get to Acts 1, 
He doesn't say anything about fire. He just says you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. You want to know why? It's because the baptism of fire was not applicable to these apostles. They weren't going to face the baptism of fire. They were, they were going to, they were about to have the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Do you have something? So, um, I just think that passage is very interesting for what it leaves out. Now, when you get to Acts, the second chapter, the baptism of the Spirit didn't come to the 120. It only came to the 11 apostles. And so, the closing verse of Acts 1 has a selection of Matthias as a new apostle, and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. And then you have these pronouns. And you you just need to read down through the the first part of Acts 2, and you'll get it. The pronouns are are referring back to the 11 apostles. and, And so... What you're talking about is not the 120 that got the baptism, but those 11. The 11 apostles did. Now, p- perhaps a good point now would be to, a parenthetical note now would be this. What about Paul? What about the apostle Paul? So, the apostles received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That is, it was conveyed directly from heaven to them. Nobody laid their hands on them. It came directly. It was a unique thing. So what about the Apostle Paul? You know, he, wasn't, he wasn't made an apostle until later. Did he have the baptism of the Holy Spirit too? He didn't have a wife. Is that what you said? Oh, he was blind. Yeah, yeah, he was blind for three days. Yeah, and the, and the, the Lord appeared to him there on the road to Damascus. And he was baptized from Ananias. So the question is, though, Paul is an apostle. Does he have the baptism of the Holy Spirit too? Did he receive this direct manifestation of the miraculous ability at the apostolic level from the Holy Spirit? The answer is yes, of course he did. Now, I would argue that, that that's true because of 2 Corinthians 11.5, where he said, I'm not a whit behind the other apostles. Well, I don't see how it's possible. I mean, surely that has to do with what Second Corinthians 12 and 12 would call the signs of an apostle and, and the ability to convey these miraculous gifts, lay hands on people, and they receive those gifts, was apostolic. It was about the apostles because of the baptism of the Holy Spirit that they had. Brother Dodd. Paul laid hands on Timothy and imparted a gift. And when he wrote the book of Romans, he says, I wish I could come to you so that you could have a spiritual gift. So clearly it's the case that Paul laid hands on people. And, and you have the Corinthian letter too, and they, be, they were behind in no gift. Okay, that's a great point. What she's saying is that, obviously, he, I'm, I'm chuckling because he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. So, obviously, he had the miraculous ability from the Holy Spirit, and he was not baptized by an apostle, and um, he's not a whit behind the other apostles. And Acts chapter 1 and 2, the other apostles had the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So, I just think it's undeniable that that the Apostle Paul had the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He had those qualities. 
So, I said there are a couple of occasions where you have the baptism of the Holy Spirit in Scripture. One is clearly the apostles. Two, though, the second one is in Acts chapter 10. Now, turn over there with me. Let's talk about that. What is unique about the baptism of Cornelius and the house of Cornelius? What is unique about that? What's special about that? All right, two things that Don said, and and that is that one, he was a Gentile. I do not know how long it is from Acts chapter 2 to Acts chapter 10. Anybody want to venture a speculation about that? You think it was, could it be 30 years? How long could it be? What would you think, James? How long does it take you to read eight chapters? Not long. Well, I don't know. But what was unique about Acts 10 is that Cornelius and his house were the first Gentile converts. That's an amazing reality. I mean, you have, you have Peter and the others preaching at Pentecost, and, and the, they'd heard the Great Commission going to all the world, and that the promise in Acts 2, Peter said, the promise is unto you, to your children, all them that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Um, and, and so that's the whole world. That just sounds like the gospel's for all. But then Peter didn't go teach Gentiles. He, he, it's kind of an interesting thing. Some people call it mechanical inspiration. And if I understand the term correctly, what it means is that, that the apostles would sometimes speak by inspiration things that they didn't completely understand themselves. And here surely is a, an example of that. They, they didn't know the import of this. But when you get to Acts 10, old Peter's kicking and screaming. He doesn't want to go to a Gentile's house. But, but he is led there. He's pressed to do that. And, and then this most amazing thing happens. Let's start in Acts chapter 10. I want to read beginning in verse 9 to get the whole picture. The next day, as they went on their journey and drew near the city... Peter went up on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. Then he, came, he became very hungry and wanted to eat, but while they made ready, he fell into a trance and saw heaven opened and an object like a great sheep bound at the four corners, descending to him and let down to the earth. In it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, birds of the air. Stop. Why is... What, 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 what would that matter to Peter? Why would that, how would that affect Peter? It wasn't Jewish food. It would be prohibited. Right. So it would be, he couldn't eat that because he was, he was a Jew. It was forbidden food. That's right. 13. And a voice came to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter pushes back. But Peter said, not so, Lord. I've never eaten anything common or unclean. And a voice spoke to him again the second time. What God has cleansed, you must not call common. I've often wondered, parenthetically, if, you know, in, in Galatians 2, when uh, Paul withstood Peter to the face because he wasn't treating the Gentiles right, he would eat with the Gentiles until other Jews came in, then he would back away from the Gentiles. And I've wondered, if sitting at that table eating at the, with the Gentiles, if maybe he was eating some Gentile food. Boy, he didn't want those Jews to see him doing that. 
And that's sometime after this. But anyway, back to verse 15. What God has cleansed, you must not call common. This was done three times, and the object was taken up into heaven again. It's just a great object lesson. Um, what was true about that which was ceremonially unclean to eat for a Jew is not true today. That's, it's no longer true. And, and what God has cleansed, don't you call unclean. 17, of course, Peter's head is spinning. Now, while Peter wondered within himself what this vision, which he had seen, meant, behold, the men who had been sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate. Simon is Peter. And they called and asked whether Simon, whose surname was Peter, was lodging there. While Peter thought about the vision, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, said to him, Behold, three men are seeking you. Parenthetical note, isn't it interesting that the Holy Spirit speaks expressly? Holy Spirit didn't speak to him in some kind of a feeling that was ambiguous and he didn't know what it was. The Spirit said, behold, three men are seeking you. That's pretty plain. 20. Arise, therefore, go down and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. I have sent them. Then Peter went down to the men who had been sent to him from Cornelius, a Gentile, and said, Yes, I am he whom you seek. For what reason have you come? And then they related what was going on. They said, Cornelius the centurion, a just man, one who fears God and has a good reputation among all the nation of the Jews, was divinely instructed by a holy angel to summon you to his house and to hear words from you. Does Peter know that this is the truth, and that a a holy angel summoned them to come and get Peter? Mm Mm-hmm. How does he know that? Because the Spirit said to him, I sent him. Don't you be doubting him. I sent him. Now verse 23. Why is this such a big deal? Why why are you got so many, you got heaven involved in this? It's a big deal. And the reason is because Cornelius, so far as we know, is the first Gentile convert. And, and Peter's reaction is going to be typical among the Jews. Peter, Peter's just not, I'm just not going to do this. And the Lord forces it. Now verse 23, then he invited them in, Peter did, and lodged them. On the next day, Peter went away with them, and some brethren from Joppa accompanied him. He wanted, he wanted some Jewish Christians with him to, 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 now, you just got to get a feel for that. I think he wants witnesses. He wants, he, he wants somebody besides him to be able to testify about this, whatever's going to happen, because he's antsy about it. 24, in the following day, they entered Caesarea. Now, Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. It's really worthy of pause to, to see Peter's reaction. Not just, not just in reference to, was Peter the Pope, the first Pope? If he was, this is a very strange reaction. But also because Peter's an apostle, but he doesn't want anybody bowing down to him. It scares him to death. 26, but Peter lifted him up saying, stand up. I myself am also a man. You got to love that. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many who had come together. Then he said to them, you know how 
unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or go to one of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Therefore, I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. I asked then, for what reason have you sent for me? I think it's kind of funny that Peter told them this. Why would he say? I think he was nervous. I think he was just, I just want you to know that I'm not supposed to be here. And normally I wouldn't come here to your house. but, But the Lord, he's put me here. I'm telling you this is what he wanted. Well, I don't think that those Gentiles were antsy about it. I think Peter was antsy about it. Brother Don. I I sort of thought you might bring that up. Um, That seems kind of inconsistent with his nervousness. I'm sorry, what Don said was, you already have this thing because uh, when the servants from Cornelius, the messengers from Cornelius came to Peter. Peter. Peter had just finished that vision. And and you accept these people. I've sent them. And so Peter invites them into his house and to invite Gentiles into his house. Surely gave him the heebie-jeebies. I mean, that's... So, so yes, yes. Somebody else? It was. It was. But again, bear in mind that um, he's just gotten this this instruction to not doubt, let him in. Okay. Uh, so verse 30. So Cornelius said, four days ago I was fasting until this hour. At the ninth hour I prayed in my, my house. A man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard. Your alms are remembered in the sight of God. Send therefore to Joppa. Call Simon here whose surname is Peter. Uh, verse 33. So I sent to you immediately and you have done well to come. Now, therefore, we're all present before God to hear all the things commanded you by God. You know what? I, I love the Corneliuses of the world. There are lots of Corneliuses. And, and I think about my neighborhood. I don't necessarily mean that they're eager to hear the plain, simple gospel. Maybe they are. But even those who are not, uh, here's Cornelius who has been influenced by godliness, though he's a Gentile. And, and you think about Huntsville, Alabama, and, and the way that we get to live our lives in, in relative peace. And I would argue that it's because of the influence of Christianity, even among those who do not claim to be Christians in any way. This culture has been profoundly influenced by Christianity. 34. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. There's a light bulb over Peter's head. But in every nation, this is huge, every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. I just wonder right then if Peter isn't rehearsing the Great Commission. And all the pieces of the puzzle come together. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And now he says, God, I know, I get it. God does not show partiality. But in every nation, people who fear him and work righteousness will be accepted. So he begins to preach. And for time's sake, let's, let's keep going. And, and you have down to verse 44. So Peter preaches to these Gentiles. And, and you get the sense that he's just 
just getting into it. He's not, he's not there yet. He, he needs, he's just starting the sermon, really. While Peter was still speaking these words, it wasn't time to say, so you need to obey the gospel, and let me show you how to do that, and you'll be in Christ, because he never got there. He didn't get there. He was, he was starting that lesson and was interrupted, as Don said a while ago, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. And those of the circumcision, Jews, who believed, those are the witnesses that came with Peter, were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Listen closely. Then Peter answered, Can anyone forbid water? I think that's so interesting the way he said that because he anticipated that that's what would happen. These Jewish Christians would forbid water for Gentiles. But what had happened is that that Peter and the others had just witnessed that these Gentiles had the Holy Spirit sent to them just like the apostles had. Can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized? Listen, who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord, then they ask him to stay a few days. So the Holy Spirit baptism was given on two, um, I'm trying to use the word occasions, but it was to two peoples. It was to the, the apostles, including Paul, and it was here in Acts chapter 10 to Cornelius and his house. In both cases, you have these moments when This is critical. Uh, It was critical that these Gentiles have a sign from God that the gospel was for them too. And that's what Peter said. That's what Peter said to those Jews who came along with him as witnesses. Now, let's summarize. Holy Spirit baptism was a promise. Water baptism was a command. If you're keeping notes, John chapter 1, verse 32 through 34 shows that Jesus was the administrator of Holy Spirit baptism. Water baptism is administered by the hands of men. Now, when you get to, to Ephesians 4, you have the, the seven ones. And don't you think it's interesting that at that point he says there's one baptism? There's one baptism. What baptism is that? And the answer is, it's baptism in water. Because that's what the people needed. Holy Spirit baptism was done and finished by that point. It wasn't going to be given to anybody else. But 1 Peter 3, in verse 20, says that in comparison to the flood, the like figure whereunto baptism doth also now save you. Not the washing of putting away of the filth of the flesh. It's with water, but it's not a bath but the answer of a good conscience toward God. It's the baptism that saves us that is the one baptism that we practice today. Do we get the baptism of the Holy Spirit? We do not. The baptism of the Holy Spirit came to those apostles, and it came to Cornelius' house. I would give you this parenthetical note too, and that is that that does not mean that the house of Cornelius received everything that the apostles did. It was the element of the baptism, and it was the way the baptism was administered that was the same as the apostles. 
The house of Cornelius didn't have the ability to pass on the miraculous gifts. They didn't have the signs of the apostles. Don. What do you mean by classify? Oh, I remember what you're talking about now. Um, and so here is the resurrection of Jesus. He's, he's resurrected and he's meeting with the disciples and the Bible says that he breathed on them and they received the Holy Spirit. But it wasn't, I, do not, I, don't, I don't think it was the baptism of the Holy Spirit uh, because you have that coming on, you know, at Pentecost. Um, maybe it's a moot point. Maybe it's just that you're trying to cause trouble in class. I don't know for sure. <laughs> Thanks for coming. God bless you. We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word. Brought to us by Glenn Colley. If you have comments or questions, Glenn can be reached by email at colley at westhuntsville.org.